And it was, I went around the various wards and obviously one of the wards I went to was the cancer ward. So there were people on there who've got a limited amount of time to live. And I was talking to this one guy and I was getting requests. They wanted me to be on the hospital radio. And he said, I've got requests, but more importantly, I just want to pass on a bit of life advice. He said, I'm going to give you, tell you three words that you should run your life by. Do it now. Do it now. Because the number of times we shuffle paper or we shuffle thought processes and we never actually get around to doing it. You know, do it now. Get it done. And actually, if you can adopt that, you know, how much time do we do we spend worrying about stuff rather than doing it? How much time do we spend proliferating, moving that piece of paper around the desk four times, you know, rather than just getting on with it? It's got to be done at some point. So do it now. And it'll free yourself up so much. So, you know, I, I would say... My strategy has been wherever I can to 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 try to yes do due diligence, try to you know get make sure that you know I've I've found out as much as I can about the opportunities and you know and has been as you know as 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 careful as I can. But there comes a point where you've just got to do it. Hello, this is Doctor Rowe, and you are listening to the Cicado Show with Dr. Rowe and Harms. Cicado means to seek turning points. And on this show where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today, the mission is to provide you with what you need in order to create a turning point in your life now. Above all else, the main reason that we chose to create these shows is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation for improving their lives, for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope, our genuine sincere hope, that by the end of each of these episodes, you will have gained at least one insight which you can take away and apply directly into your life. Practical tools, voices that come from both generations, younger generation with tips and tools, older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience. So you can help unlock your true potential to give you the opportunity to make changes both on a personal, professional, financial and relationship level. To give you a chance to impact both your life and the lives of other people around you. So we welcome you. We welcome you to The Cicado Show. Before we jump into the show, let me just tell you a little bit about becoming a Cicado supporter now. If you love what we do on the show, have gained transformational insights and positive outcomes or any small shifts which have allowed you to create turning points in your life, then please head to cicado.com and become a supporter of the show now. By supporting the show, we can continue to expand by getting you better quality production, spending more time deep diving important topics and creating more exclusive supporter perks as well as getting great guests on. And by the way, as a thank you for becoming a supporter and depending on which supporter tier you select at cicado.com, these perks range from my weekly recipe for success emails through to audios and video courses from my 23 steps to success, which includes online modules on how to find your life balance, gaining confidence, improving your time management, making successful career transitions, understanding financial independence, creating a life purpose, understanding and how to manage your money, becoming a money master, understanding negotiation techniques, learning to communicate more effectively, and so much more. So don't delay. It takes less than 
two minutes and you can become a Cicado supporter, helping to expand the show and get special perks as a thank you. Become a supporter now at cicado.com. Let's get back to the show. Hello, it's Harms here and welcome to another episode of the Cicado show. Let me just paint you a picture of where we are right now. It is a time for inspiration when the reality is we are at a time when we feel uninspired and it is a time for change again but the reality is we are at a time when we feel unable to change that is the reality of the global feeling right now however for you the listeners we have an incredibly special guest today who embodies both these characteristics and has continuously demonstrated inspiration and continuously changing throughout his life and career and demonstrated them both in his career and life. On observation, something that stands out is his ability to balance passion, purpose and contribution, something we can all aspire to achieve. And wrapped around all of this is being able to fulfill that through understanding wealth and wealth vehicles, in particular property investing. So be prepared in this episode to take notes, to absorb an incredible amount of growth information in this inspiring, wide-ranging conversation. So, hi, Ro, over to you to introduce our special guest today and let the listeners know who we have. Thanks, Harms. And again, thank you all for taking the time to come listen to the podcast. I am pumped. The gentleman that you're about to get introduced to, without us both realizing it, I've actually known each other for probably 30 years or more because we ended we actually both at the same university together albeit a year or so apart and he was presenting a radio show that I used to listen to and we only discovered that a couple of years back so it's quite a journey Martin Roberts is somebody I'm going to introduce formally as I always like to do on these podcasts and then I'm going to put a personal spin on it and, and ask him to share us a bit of his story so I, Martin first I think of all you say that name again who do we have on the podcast <laughs> we have Martin Roberts from go. the BBC <laughs> hi Martin are you there Hey, yes, absolutely. Hello, both. <laughs> so I've given away his age. He is slightly older than Harminder anyway. He's more in my generation. I think we're both probably the same age, actually. Oh, they were looking good, mate. We're looking yes, good. Yes, and you've got just that little bit more hair than me, unfortunately. But that's, uh... so, <laughs> I've, got, look... I've got the physique. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, let me do the formal introduction because it, it's worthy of me reading it out. I've got it in front of me. And although this is a freestyle podcast, this is one I'd like to share with you. So everybody listening that maybe is aware of Martin, but just doesn't know the pedigree of his background. So Martin's one of the UK's most respected property, travel and lifestyle presenters and journalists. For over 25 years, he's appeared on BBC TV, radio, ITV, CNN and satellite TV worldwide. He's a regular presenter on ITV's top related shows, Wish You Were Here. For eight years, he was there and the traveler editor for Woman Magazine for 15 years. For the past 15 years, he's written and presented the hit BBC property auction show, Homes Under the Hammer, which is shown on BBC TV. I believe it's probably their most viewed TV show. He'll probably confirm that. And I think, is it the 23rd series now you're on to, Martin? I'm trying to work. You know, it just moves on. It's 25, mate. 25. 25. Oh, my God. 17 well, years. I mean, you know, the time passes. That is, here I am still doing it. That is serious. I mean, for anyone to be that long with that much success, it's crazy. And I think, if I'm right, it's over like 1,400, 1,500 programs or something along those yeah, lines, is it? Yeah, it, it, yeah extraordinary. Um, <laughs> yes, 
uh, that means over 3,000 properties I've visited in the time. Oh Most of them God. actually two up, two downs in Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> But there's no properties for investing in Stoke on Trink. I've got somewhere, so don't go anywhere near it, anybody. He's a respected UK and overseas property expert. Many of you, if you have watched, you'll know that already. But if you're new, tune in and watch him when you know when you can. Appearing as an expert guest on programs such as BBC Breakfast, BBC 24 News, Sky Sunrise, the Jeremy Vine Show, and the BBC radio shows 2, 4, and 5 Live. Regular guest presenter on the BBC radio, Jeremy Vine slot from 12 till 2. If you haven't listened to it, have a listen because it's a really great, honest, direct conversation piece that goes on there as well. DIY specials, answering listeners' questions live. And again, this is a characteristic of somebody that knows their stuff because a lot of people like prepped questions, whereas Martin, and I've known him for years, will just take a question and bang, just smash it out there because of that depth of experience. He's a chatting celebrity guest, been a celebrity contestant on Egghead Celebrity Mastermind, Pointless, ready, steady cook, master chef, which my daughter loves, through the keyhole, hole in the wall. Oh my gosh. And it goes on. November 2016, Martin entered the Australian jungle. I remember what he looked like afterwards when he came out and took part in the TV flagship family entertainment show, I'm a Celebrity. Get me out of here. Some of you might have seen it. Watched nightly over 12 million viewers. His hatred for beans and rice. Love of trees, which I didn't realize actually. That's interesting. Talcum powder and fun, which I know very much. Engaging in his spirited character, which I can vouch for knowing him personally, made him hugely popular with the viewing public. And he ended up sixth place, surviving all but two days in the camp, which is serious. And I saw Martin when he came out. And actually, interesting. Actually, we should throw a few questions on this because it definitely had an impact on you on a deeper level as well, I noticed when you came out. But just to wrap up the formal introduction, Martin is also also the author, which I think you want to talk to him about as well, Mm -hmm. Harms, today, of the best-selling book, Making Money for Property, from Property, which, by the way, when I read it, Martin and I sat down 10, 12 years ago, and that created from that something amazing, which is a set of trainings, which I think we're going to try and get him to talk about today as well. His most recent title, Property Auction Guide, and the children's book series, The Vills, which my 11-year-old loves, including a dedicated version, Sadsville, which we really got, those of you that have got kids, you have to get access to this as quickly as possible in support of the NSPCC and Childline. He has set up his own charitable foundation, which again, we'd like to talk to him about today to help the children, education and safeguarding issues. This is a huge resume and we've compressed it. Martin, you're an amazing human being. I've tried to compress that down on a personal level, this is just me expressing, Martin, for those of you, and you know I'm pretty straight about this, is if I was to talk about the qualities of the man we're about to hear from, integrity, honesty, passion, humility, a real kindness towards other people, a great father, and genuinely somebody that brings fun into what he does. And he's very selective about who he works with, who he who he deals with, and also who he represents. And just a, a lovely human being. I mean, that's the only way I can describe him. Wears his heart on his sleeve sometimes, I know, does stuff for people often beyond his own physical and energetic capabilities, runs himself to the ground, I'm sure. <laughs> You're in for a treat. We have Martin Roberts. Yeah, what an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so Martin, look, I'm going to shut up. It's Talk- me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, a lot of people may not know your story and, and we try and dig deep on, you know, we, we, call it go, we call it going down the rabbit hole on, on this show. Please take us on a bit of a journey. Tell us, go take us back to where you started and just how did you get to where you are today and, and become the person you are? Well, you know, looking back, I think you can use this 
to help where you are right now, wherever you are, whoever you're listening, wherever you listen, however you feel. Sometimes, you know, as you said at the start, Arminda, especially now we're feeling like, oh, you know, what is going on with the world and da, 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 you know, and is this the right turn? And, you know, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I look back at my career and, and some of the twists and turns that it had and, and some of the things that happened were so random and so on the face of it, just irrelevant to, to where I ended up. And yet they all played their part in getting to me, getting me to where I eventually got to. In fact, it inspired me to write a book, which I don't even know you'd think you know about, Roe, which um, I'm sort of going to publish at some point because I, I felt quite passionate about it. And, and I, likened, I likened my journey to, to hitchhiking. Okay. I, I used to do uh, hitchhiking quite a lot when I was when I was a student. <laughs> Yorkshire and I've, I've written this book, which is all about taking the principles of hitchhiking and run and, and, and applying them to life. Oh wow! And basically, you're standing at the side of the road there, and you know, you, you for a start, you set off, and it's all a bit daunting. You don't know if you're going to end up getting to where you need to get to, and you know, you stand there. Sometimes it starts to rain, and you get very demoralised, and then then a then a car will turn up, and they'll say, you know, well, I can't take you that far down the road, but I, I can take you, you know, to the next junction on the motorway or whatever. And so you go, oh, okay, well, it's better than nothing. So then you have a little journey down the motorway, and then you get in get into that. You stand again in the rain, and it's like, oh god, will I ever get to where I need to get to? And you know, and then another car turns up, and it, and, it, and it actually takes you about four stops down the motorway, and you're still thinking, oh gosh, I've got to go 250 miles. It's going to take me forever. And then this happened to me on so many occasions. I got those two or three really duff rides, and I'm standing by the side of the road, and the car pulls up, and, mm. and, and I, I kid you not, I said, I, I'm, I'm, where are you going to? I'm actually going to Warrington. He said, all right, whereabouts in Warrington? I said, well, I'm actually going to this place called Stockton Heath, which is where I was born. He goes, oh, whereabouts in Stockton Heath? I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to Cranley Close. He said, well, actually, I'm going to visit my mum who lives in Hillfoot Crescent, which is the road round from from from, uh, from Cranley Close. So, so I get in this car, and this car then takes me 235 miles from where I was dropped, you know, where I was sitting, standing there in the rain in this, in this petrol station or whatever, to exactly where I wanted to go. And the, the 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 thought, the food for thought on that is if I hadn't had those two previous rides, those right. ones which at the time felt like a complete waste of time, very frustrating, very pull your hair out. What is it all about? If I hadn't had those two rides, I wouldn't have got that perfect ride. And you know, I think you can you can use that as a as a bit of a life message, really. Sometimes you get stuck in things and you think, what is going on? But if you do believe, and I am quite spiritual as well, if you do believe that there's a, you know, that, 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 that things will end out right and end up well, then you can you can live those duffo rides going, well, it's, it's just the journey. It's It's part of it and it will get me there. What a great frame for this podcast. Fantastic. Um, by the way, that book has to come out. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, I, I really want to self-publish it and uh, or, or get it published. And yeah. I'm really, really proud of it because I can't, there was lots of other principles. You know, sometimes you just, a car pulls up and you just get a gut feeling that, that actually yes. that, that, that isn't a, a car you should get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you can relate that to life. Sometimes you just got to trust your gut instinct and go, looks like a ride. I'm a bit wet. I'm a bit desperate, but actually that ride is not the ride I should be taking. Yes. Yeah. And, and I mean, I know it doesn't go on so much today, but you're right during that period, it was, a, it was a thing to do, wasn't it? You just, if you wanted to go somewhere, you just 
went yeah. for it. So, so I, take us on the first ride then. Where does, where does your ride start in life? So the first ride starts with, you know, that point of trying to decide where you, what you're going to do with your life when you're far too young to make those kind of decisions. And I had an, um, a friend of the family who was into electronics. And um, I just loved the electronics and the things that he made. I mean, it was in the early days of electronics. So I thought, okay, fine. So I, I sort of got into electronics a bit. So at school, I did lots of the science subjects. And when it came to decide what I was going to do, I thought, well, you know, I'll go and, I'll, I'll go and, I'll go and do electronics. So I applied to do electronics at university and, and, and ended up getting a scholarship to Bradford University and sponsored yep. by a company called Thorny MI, who at the time made televisions. And yeah. I, I really enjoyed the little periods I had. It was a, it was a thin sandwich course. I went to work in industry yeah. and, and, and quite like that. But then, but then I thought, you know what, this really, I don't know, this, this just doesn't feel right. While I was at university, though, one of the things which you, you, you quite rightly remembered is that I got involved in the university radio club and, and a media society. And and I really loved that. And when I was growing up as a as a very young child, my granny always said, I mean, he, he should be on the television. And I don't know what she saw in me, but she saw something. Anyway, so, so and where was where was family originally from? So you you so originally I grew up in, in Warrington, which right. is uh, you know, just, just halfway between Manchester and Liverpool. Yeah. Um, you know, a working class family, you know, mum and dad, dad was a scientist, mum was a scientist both from very working class families. Uh, you know, we had a nice house right on the side of the Bridgewater Canal up in, you know, up there in a little village called Stockton Heath. You know, and I'd say I had a happy childhood and, you know, went, I was very badly bullied at school. And I think that probably, mm. yeah, that sort of had some effects on me. But, um, you know, in general, I had a, a, a very, you know, loving family and, and, and growing up and stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, like, like most people, you haven't got a clue what you're going to do. You know, you, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, I've now got a 13-year-old son who's trying to decide what he's going to do. You know, when you haven't got a clue, you know, I started on electronics and now I'm a TV celebrity. So, so that's so, one of the questions, Martin, from myself and my generation. Many people who are in their 18, 20, 25 years old, they get obsessed with this life plan. They've already planned their life out and they're really getting disheartened that it's not going to plan as they thought. Because your example is amazing. You just ride one, ride two. Actually, ride three might not be for me. Ride five takes me close to where I want to go to. What's a message for them based on what you've what you're describing now? You know, it's very easy to say it, but but try to believe that you know there is a there, that that things turn out okay in the end. <laughs> and it's really hard when you're waiting for that ride in the rain, but actually that you know you do need to believe that 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 you will end up in the place that's right for you and 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 it might take a while but you will you will eventually get there and you know the number of people i know who went to university or started out on certain careers and 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 whatever it is the universe or themselves pulls them back to where they should be now clearly if you are embarking on or if your dream is to is to embark on a, on some kind of um, professional career like a doctor or a vet or a you know or or, 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 or a lawyer or something like that then you, you sort of I think you do need to have a, a bit of a rigid life plan early on but you often find that there's people who are dedicated and and want to do that already already know that they seem to know it at a very early age so that life plan is easy for them for the rest of us well you know we, we when we could basically do whatever you know I think you could just you also allow for flexibility and you know, really try and live in the moment, you know, not make the most of the journey, not where you think it's going to end. 
you know, my heart does go out to quite a lot of young people who do their part of the bargain. You know, they go to school, they get their O-levels, they get right. their A-levels, you know, they go to university, they study hard, and they come out and go, there you go, world, I've done my bit, yeah. give me a job. And the world goes, oh, actually, it's not that simple. Yeah. And you see a lot of disillusionment. The reality is, you know, sometimes it's tough. So the more you can increase your life experience. Brilliant. I think the better, the more you can round yourself as a human being and not just get your head stuck down into the, into, into the books. And, you know, life is a gift, right? You know, we are lucky to be alive and healthy. And when you're young, you don't really, you take that for granted basically. And, you know, just enjoy it. It's a, it is Mm. a gift. So do if just, what is your wildest dream and what's stopping you doing it? By the way, for those of you listening, uh, there's so much, even if we stop now, there's enough in this. Yeah. Just to, but the everything will be transcribed from this podcast, so there'll be a transcription. So there's qu- some great quotes you might want to hang on to from what Martin's saying here, so just bear that in mind. I'll, I'm just going to hang on to the flow here. because So, so that, brilliant question, by the way, Harms. I like that, especially for the younger ones. So keep us going on the journey. So we're on the hitchhiking journey. Electronics was something that sort of yeah. you kind of re- went into, but then thought, ah, is, is this really for yeah. me? And so um, I, it's interesting that things happen halfway. And, but here's, here's, here's a, a little bit of a, a why in the road of life. And, and you don't really realise it at the time. But so, so I decided, okay, fine. So I've got electronics, but I really love the idea of working in radio. And a couple of pivotal things happened. During the time I was at university, I was doing the radio show. I absolutely loved it, but never really thought that you could do that as a sort of job you know the people who work on tv and in radio you know it was like oh my gosh you know, they must be superhuman beings and we went as part of it on a road trip to york bbc radio york and i remember I forget the man in charge there the the station controller saying we said how do you get into this and he said there was always space for people who were good you know and actually it, that was like oh my god you mean it's, it's actually a possibility that i could actually do this and it's like wow how do you make that i don't know anyway so so i thought well maybe a way in is to work for the bbc as a technical person because i've got my degree or i'm working on my degree so yeah. why don't i apply for a job as an engineer with the bbc so i went down to broadcasting house in london which is that thing you know the, when the news at 10 now has broadcasting house because it's now the television house as well and it's the thing with a little sort of radio mast on the top of it it's the iconic bbc building in london mm-hmm. so i traveled down there and i went for this interview in some in some you know, laboratory down some corridor or whatever. And halfway through the interview, we were just talking and halfway through, there's like a panel of sort of four or five interview interviewers and there's me and they were making me thread a reel-to-reel tape recorder. You know, that, that puts the time scale on the <laughs> real tape recorder. I bet people listening don't even know what's he talking about. What's a <laughs> anyway, it's what you used to record things on before the age of digital. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway, and so I'm just telling you, and, and halfway through, they said, you don't want this job, do you? And bear in mind that I'd already got down from like 3,000 applicants to 30 in their interviewing. So it was a pretty, it was, it was, yeah. a, it was for a, it was like an apprenticeship with the BBC as an engineer. And they said, you don't want this job, do you? And I went, actually, no. <laughs> and that could have gone really badly. That's but honest. Actually, we all looked at each other and then we started laughing. And they can say, they said, well, look, we can see that you've got so much, but, but we're not sure. You probably want to be in front of the microphone rather than behind it and in front of the television wow. rather than behind it. And I went, well, actually, I probably do. He says, well, listen, you're in the BBC building. Why don't you go down to the front entrance and there's an internal telephone and 
pick up the internal telephone and dial this number. And it's a mate of mine, one of the interviewers was saying, who, who heads up BBC local radio. <laughs> Give him a call using the internal phone. And he will pick it up because it's an internal phone. So, and to see what happened. So I did. I went down and picked the phone. I was like, nah. I said, hi, it's Martin here. I'm a friend of yours just said I should give you a call. And he said, he said where are you? He said, I'm in the broadcasting house um, reception. He said, well, I'm just in the building opposite. Come and see me. So I literally went across the road, started talking to this guy. He had BBC local radio. And he said, where do you live? And I said, well, Warrington. He said, well, probably Liverpool's your nearest. So he, he said, I'll, I'll ring my friend um, Ian Judson, who's the, the station manager at BBC Radio Merseyside, and, and we'll see what we can do. So I... <laughs> And then I got so long story short, I ended up getting a, a sort of a, a going a chance to go into BBC Radio Merseyside and act as a just a sort of tea boy, you know. Just but 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 started doing a few little bits and pieces. Started doing some recordings and and da di da di da. And and I was noticed because I was obviously imaginative and creative, and and so it it sort of progressed from there. And, and at the time, I remember my my mum and dad were very concerned because I was I was being paid no money. And bearing in mind, I'd, by this point, I'd turned around to the people who'd sponsored me through university and said, I, yeah, I'm sorry about this, but um, I don't actually want to go work for you. I want to go and do my, follow my passion and my dream. And the man in charge, who, who by this point had invested about 30,000 quid in me in terms of fees and all sorts of stuff, he just looked at me and said, you go for it. He said, I'm, you know, he said, <laughs> you, you just follow your dreams. And we shook hands and he was, was really, it was really great. Uh, he also by saying I've just been conned by one of the best in the business. <laughs> <laughs> but even, even in your story there. So, so here's the thing. I, I, I want to try and decode your mindset. Cause I've noticed this about you when you see something, you want it. And I've known you for what, 10, 11, 12, 13 years or more now. It's just like you, you have a certain way you approach things for, for the older generation listening. Cause I kind of represent, that on this podcast the ones that are in there because you're still doing it now martin you're still pursuing new things but the ones in the 50s right now i'm finding there's a lot of people fears locking them down what do you do when you're faced with an idea that you like and you just say screw it i'm just going to do this what what is your what do you see in your mind that takes martin roberts to make the step to overcome maybe a possible block that's going on okay so what in my mind stops the most the most stops the most people not achieving their dreams is fear of failure yeah and the the sort of almost shame of failure and i just see it as a learning curve you know i mean i hasn't always gone right for me there's been times when it's been pretty awful and things have gone really badly but you know when i was being badly bullied at school you know backed into a corner being beaten up i would laugh that actually got them even crosser but my my way out of it was just to 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 almost just go. This is happening, but I'm going to disassociate myself from it. And so I, I would just, I would just laugh. Mm. And I think if you, you know, can take yourself to the worst case scenario, which is a place that not, people don't really like to go, and you honestly ask yourself, could I cope with that? Let me just just go the worst case. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about personal stuff here. I'm not talking about people being ill or losing family members or all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about in business or with an idea. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst, worst, worst that could happen? And then honestly ask yourself, could I cope with that? And then if mm-hmm. you, suddenly you've demystified this, uh, you know, this, this ogre, which is things going horribly wrong and you being, you know, you being, 
you know, cast out as a failure. And I also just look at all those people in the world who, who people would say they are the most successful at what they do. And all of them have failed numerous times before they got to that point. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I sort of, I, I, funny, I don't think of myself as a, I myself as sort of bombastic or just like, I'm going to get my own way, da, 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 da. But I just sort of, I just have this thing where I just go, well, you know, I just, I'm just going to make it happen. I do my best to make it happen. Fantastic. Um, so, so as an example, Martin, if you took yourself back to that scenario where you were telling this person who's helped fund a lot of your education to this point, and actually they turned around and said, no, Martin, don't pursue your dreams. That's a bad idea. How would you have responded? Because there must be loads of people oh facing God. that conversation. Loads that have that. Well, we know that from our trainings, Martin. The people that come through your courses, sometimes we've got somebody outside trying to put them off, mm-hmm. relearning the subject. Yeah, I know. I would just say, you know, you know, I respect your point of view, but this is my life. Mm. So great message. Great message. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't a prison sentence, mate. Yeah. uh, I I didn't go into it with this intention, but things change. Mm. You know, know, you're not going to stop me fulfilling my dreams. But actually, I don't think it's it's outside influences that stop people fulfilling their dreams. I think it's their inbuilt internal blocks, internal you know, little devil on the shoulder, which yeah. which which puts people constantly in a, in in doubt of their own abilities, mm. and you know, and, and it will always throw in all the negatives, and and you know, and what the human being's brain is so well, you know, developed that it takes the tiniest little bit of negativity, and it can find a thousand mm. million things to back up that train of thought. Mm, so you know true. and so if you feed it now if you give it the opportunity it, yeah it'll, it'll absolutely come up with 10 million reasons why you shouldn't be doing what you do but that's just you've got to recognize that that's just a process that the brain goes through now recognize the difference in between that and the gut instinct of this is wrong is really important mm-hmm. but i think you will pretty quickly learn to notice the difference in between something which is just you know a fear of failure a fear of oh, oh, oh a fear of change uh, 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 um you know and something which is inside going nah this is wrong you this know is- all the times when it when it's when it's messed up for me you know if i look back i knew it was gonna mess up yeah 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 <laughs> that's so true and i think it's that especially today in modern modern times we're so forced into our head with technology instead of that reliant but you have that in you i think that's what's very endearing about you for anyone listening by the way this i've actually written this down to harminda so it's like this is very rarely shared stuff from martin he gets so interrogated by what he knows about tv but we kind of want to get into who martin is because there's so much wisdom in here um even just from this one conversation you mentioned bullying if i get a chance i'd like to come back to that because i think it's another huge subject but Keep us going on the journey because I'm fascinated. So, so you're at university, radio show. You then go and get this opportunity. W- what happens next? So I go and work for BBC Radio Merseyside, and you know, just loving it, living at home, but loving this opportunity. And and funnily enough, the only person who ever gave me a hard time about it was 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 uh, was our next door neighbour who I called Uncle Eric because in the close <laughs> I lived. We, we, we the, all the neighbours were called Uncle or Auntie. That's right. Auntie uh, right. Audrey across the road. That's right. Uncle Eric next door. Yeah. And so, so Uncle Eric peered over the garden fence one day and said, "Why have we wasted all that money educating you? <laughs> and now you go off and do something else." I'm like, "Well, 
Eric, for a start, Uncle Eric, uh, really? <laughs> this is my dream. So, you know, I'm sorry if you feel like that, but pfft, whatever. So I, so I went to work at the local radio station and here's some funny stories. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those ones, you go, oh my gosh. I, word, got to, word gets around, okay, because people go on holiday and people are ill or whatever. So the, the local radio network in the Northwest was quite, was quite small. So I, somebody called uh, the people at Radio Lancashire, or they called Radio Merseyside, and they said, oh, we're a bit short-staffed. Have you got any, and, and they said, oh, I've got this young guy called Martin who's working. He's been really good. So, so I, I got in contact with them and said, yeah, I'll come in. So, so then I, I went to Radio Lancashire. And started doing some stuff for them, and that was a bit more on the production side. So I was I was actually going out and interviewing people, and you know, and, and going out in the radio car, and and starting to help put put together packages for the show. And I tell you, I learned so much in that period mm. in, about interviewing and about you know the skills of communication in the media and how one of the biggest things you can do is shut up um you know and let people speak and it drives me mad these days when you see interviewers who i consider to be fairly inexperienced and they just want to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk because they think you know they're, they're, they don't want to have any silences and that means that the person they're interviewing doesn't have a chance to tell their story mm-hmm. and i'm True. not interested in the interviewer i'm interested in the person who's speaking yeah. so shut up but i learned all those sort of things so i went to work for radio lancashire and a few really significant things happened there one which could be very very funny because and, and don't tell anybody this story but um uh, <laughs> <laughs> no i i almost ended up presenting match of the day no now for wow. a man who isn't really a football fan oh my gosh um and doesn't know a lot about football this would have been quite an interesting thing i'll tell you this the, the story very very briefly I, one of the things i had to do when i filled in for people who are real, I had to fill in for Dave, who was the sports producer. So we're now in Radio Lancashire, which is very much, you know, a football and, and you know, rugby. You know, we've got Blackburn Rovers. You've got all this. Kind of, so it's a real hot bit. Preston North End, you know, really, really big. And, and so when I went to visit Dave in hospital because he'd done his back in. I said, Dave, I don't know anything about football. You know, I, I know a bit about rugby, but, you know, he said, look, it's easy. I'll tell you what to ask these people. And you just go up there and you stick there. Your, your, your microphone in front of their face, you say, Harry, how did it go? And Harry will say, well, you know, in the first half, it didn't go that well, but I had a few problems <laughs> with my midfielder and da 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 And then the next question you ask is, so what's the lineup for next week? And you'll go, well, we're not, I'm, I'm thinking about dropping uh, Aaron Charlie because he's right away. <laughs> hasn't so, changed, hasn't changed. <laughs> And then you end up by saying, so what do you think about the, the scope of the rest of the season? You say, whoa, you know, we haven't had a very good start, but I'm out for the next round. It'd be absolutely fine. And that's it. He said, nobody will know you don't know anything about it. <laughs> so, so I started filling in for him and it was, went really well. And so I'm interviewing all these people. And I was like, okay, fine. Ask the, ask the questions. And they, they came up with the set answers. And everyone's going, oh, and the listeners were going, really, this is really great. And anyway, one day the station manager called me in and he said, oh, I was, doing, I was loving the show. He said, you made a bit of a slip up in last week's uh, broadcast or last night's broadcast. He said, you, you were talking about the league and um, you said that um, they, um, they, 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 you know, you won the FA Cup, and he said, uh, you know, they, they won the, the FA Cup match, so that gives them three points. And of course, there was a bit of a slip up, and I looked at him and I went, "What do you mean?" He said, "You don't know the difference between the FA Cup and, and the league." league. <laughs> I went, "Is there a difference?" <laughs> He turned white as a sheet. But anyway, <laughs> I got away with it. And here's, here's the story I only want to match the oh, day. Oh. So 
So they phoned back. So some Merseyside phone. They said, How, how's he getting on? Well, Dave said, well, he's been filling on the sports show. He said, he's really good. So we said, well, actually, we've got an opening for somebody on our sports show. <laughs> no. Merseyside. You've got Liverpool and Everton, yeah. right? So, the, so I just, I, the, this is the fantasy bit. I then imagine myself sitting, you know, 20 years forward in, you know, in the BBC studio, match of the day. I'm there behind the desk going, what the hell is the difference in between? Welcome match of the day. And Arsenal doing very well. And I've been to meet to Arsene Wenger, who's going to tell me a little bit about how he thinks the team's going. So, Arsene, what are you going to put as the lineup for next week? Well, Martin, what are you <laughs> Same accent. <laughs> Yeah, of course, they're all the same, aren't they? So it's very funny. So, so I started working for local radio, worked work for Radio Merseyside, and then I had what was probably my most significant break, where I followed the group, this group of people who came from, the, from London on a bus to, to see what the North was like. And bear in mind, this is now 30 years ago. So okay? literally hitchhiking. They weren't, yeah. No. So they came on a bus and they, they were going around the markets of Blackburn and Bury, and, were, they were, they, and there were all these people who obviously never been north of Watford Gap. And they were like, oh my gosh, there's people. And then one of them actually said, oh, the girls, they wear dresses. And <laughs> wow, what do you think we'd be living in case? So anyway, so I did this little report about all these people who came up from the north and up from the south of the north. And I thought this is really good. And at the time, there was a radio show on Radio 4. And bear in mind, I was working for local radio. Radio 4 was like, you know, 15 steps up. It's a national radio station, highly respected. And I thought this is a really interesting story, though. So I sent this reel-to-reel tape down to Breakaway, which was the travel show on Radio 4. Mm. Um, It went out on a Saturday morning between 9.30 and 10. I didn't hear anything. And then I'd started working for some other little shows on Radio 4, one of which was a, like a disabled person show and, uh, and various other things. And I did some stuff on Woman's Hour. And anyway, so I was in the BBC building some months later and I went in and I, I was walking down the corridors and there was a, one of the doors said breakaway on it. I thought, oh, that's the office, there's a breakaway. So I went in and there was just a woman in there on her own. It was lunchtime. And I said, oh, hi, I'm Martin from, I sent some tapes in the other day and about two months ago and I didn't hear anything. And she went, oh, oh, really? And then there on the desk was like a mountain of tapes. Oh um, my God. And mine was buried under the bottom. But anyway, she fertilized. I said, is this it here? I said, yeah. So I listened to it now. So she took me into her office and she played it. And it was this story of the, the people from the South who'd come up to the North and eating their black puddings at Berry Market. And she just cried laughing all the way through. And she turned out to be the editor of the program. Oh and my God. Oh um, I, I, two weeks later, I, she phoned me up and said, would you go to New York State and Niagara Falls and do a story for us? Yes. <laughs> So I ended That's up a good hitchhike, that one. I ended up working. Well, the hitchhike there was, you know, I, I just, I could have carried on walking past that door. Exactly. Um, but it, instead I yeah. stopped. Martin, I, on the piece of paper, the notepad we got next to us, Rohan just wrote on the piece of paper, he just does it, exclamation mark. He's fearless. <laughs> uh, this is what I wrote down. Literally. I'll send you a picture of it, Martin. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, yeah. So that, that, was, that was one of those days when I thought that was a really important thing I just did there and and I, I felt it sometimes you don't know but um I um I thought you know that was that was really significant and sure enough I ended up doing I uh, doing lots and lots of reports for 
six or seven years for for radio four and their travel show which was just it paid virtually no money but i got to live this most amazing life traveling around the world and seeing places you know and and reporting on all these lovely holiday ideas and it was it was quite extraordinary you know to me the the underlying theme is there's a passion here so it's you're not losing sight of that are you it's not like you're just doing it because it feels like a job that there seems to be this thread that's pulling you i'd honestly say i don't I, I've apart apart from the time when I was in industry on my thin sandwich course at university, where I was working in like a design labs and uh, and working on a production line of a television. You know, when when I felt that was that was really really like a job. I've never really felt like you know I've got a a a, a sort of traditional job. I, I see this as just my lifestyle, and I love doing it. And I count myself very, very lucky there. You know, I, I you know, but I, 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 you know, when I grew up, I, I worked in in quick save as it was then, stacking shelves, and you know, I've, I've done all that. And and I do, you know, I, I have huge, great, you know, respect for anybody in any job. You know, stacking shelves, putting boxes of you know, hair gel in, into into other boxes, and working on production lines. If it wasn't for those wonderful, hardworking people, we wouldn't we wouldn't have a society that actually functions. Mm-hmm. But I'm just really lucky. I feel that I've had, you know, an opportunity to follow my dreams. And you know, and yeah, at the start, it was it was it was it was a it was a it was a huge risk. And it, it can, I guess, you know, if one thing that's COVID has, has taught us, it sometimes actually when you're freelance and you're self-employed, it would actually be quite nice to have a job. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, please furlough me. But um, uh, but so, you know, but in general, it, you know, I've just I've I've just lived this this this. this yeah, I've, I feel very lucky. So so one question, Martin. If someone young is listening to this, one question for you is: Did you pursue these projects, these missions, uh, these TV shows based on the financial reward, or was it because you're passionate about it? Did money play a factor? What was your feeling and thinking there? Because a lot of young people, I, well, the conversations I have is they're chasing the money first and then they realize 20, 30 years down the line that actually this wasn't that passionate, that fun, that purposeful. No, I think 100% not chasing the money. There was no money in it. Um, I mean, no, literally, it was 25 quid a week for working on the radio show. Uh, but that, funnily enough, you, know, you talk about the property, and, and I'm just, uh, there's lots of other great stories to tell about the career into, into and the movement into TV, which is another completely random story. I'll tell you about it in a minute. But, but at the same time as I was doing the radio stuff, only 25 quid a week, I had the opportunity to buy my first house. My grandma passed away and she left me some money, uh, inheritance, and I put that into the deposit of my first house, which was in Stockport. And I bought it for £23,000. And my dad had been heavily into DIY. So growing up, that's what I did. You know, naturally, I just helped him with the DIY. And so when I got my first house, the natural thing for me to do was to, you know, do the bathroom and, and replace the kitchen and sort it out and knock down a few walls. And, and so I did that. And so at the same time as doing the radio show, I, I did up this house and uh, two years later came to sell it and I sold it for 56000 So I, I, I nice. more than doubled my money. At the same time, I'd probably earned about 2,500 quid from following my passion, which is, you know, doing the, the, the media stuff. And, and people won't believe it, but the media stuff really, still, even now, doesn't pay a lot of money. Mm. But I, I love doing it. But it, it But that sort of opened my eyes to the idea of property as something which can help you, right. you know, do your dreams at the same time you know you know you, you do unfortunately need money to 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 do you know to fulfill some dreams um but if you can have the property beaver in a way there 
creating you a way to make money you can then it buys you the freedom to do whatever you want if you want to go and you know help orphan children in africa if you want to go and you know follow your dreams in terms of charity work or if you just want to go and you know visit every wine growing region in the world you know a solid base in property can give you that 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 kind of freedom so that was where you know the sort of the property stuff has always been sort of bimbling along at the same time as the media career and and you know that 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 continued as i start because because the next thing that happened was was basically the transition from radio into television right quite a big leap so take us on that journey because one of my burning questions is to ask more about property as we go down the rest of the interview so take us to the journey where we got to the tv homes under the hammer and the present time now so (laughs) the journey into television is is probably the most bizarre sort of story of my career. I would I would probably say looking back again, you don't realise quite at the time. But I was working by this point. I'd done Radio Merseyside. I'd done Radio Lancashire, and I I got picked up by Radio Manchester, which is again in the northwest. And I started doing some stuff for them again, helping on their uh, on their various radio shows and driving the radio car and just doing little packages about interesting stories, local stories. And it was all amazing. And um, one day, Radio Manchester at the time was based in Oxford Street or Oxford Road in Oxford Road in Manchester. And it shared the same building as BBC TV in the Northwest. So, you know, uh, the, the BBC television production facility for the Northwest was based, was based in Manchester there. And we shared the same, same building and we shared the same cafeteria. So one day I left my shift working at BBC Radio Manchester and I went up to the cafeteria and uh, I'm standing in the, um, uh, self-service cafeteria queue with my tray and um, working on my way down and I picked up whatever it was and I picked up my main course and I got to the bit where the desserts were and there was a lemon meringue pie hmm. and it was phosphorescent yellow I mean we're talking it would if you turn the lights out it would be glowing it was just super hyper yellow and I was just laughing about this with the guy who was next to me in the queue and he had his tray as well and we started laughing about this lemon meringue pie um, it was a conversation that maybe lasted 20 seconds. And as I was took my tray and I went to pay, and as I'm walking away, he said, well, by the way, what do you do? And I said, well, I work downstairs at BBC Manchester, Radio Manchester. And he said, oh, okay, have you fancy television? And I'm like, no. He said, look, just if you ever fancy it, give me a shout, Peter, fifth floor. I'm like, yeah, sure. So anyway, so I went continue it's a bit weird that that so i continued my shift but my curiosity at the end of the day got the better of me and i phoned the reception i said um is there somebody called peter who works on the fifth floor and they said uh only peter the head of television oh my gosh. i'm like <laughs> so i phoned him up and i went to see him and i said yeah is this for real and he was like yeah you just something about you i just really liked and you just seem to have something. Um, I just thought if you wanted to get into television, I know a few people, obviously, on the head of television. So <laughs> I, I could give you a bit of a break. And I was like, well, I'm an act. So I started working for, at that point, um, the kids' TV from that was produced in Manchester. You might remember it. Uh, during the summer holidays, they and, and in fact, all the kids' holidays, they, they, they used to be 
Well, it was Saturday, basically. Um, there was a show on BBC and on ITV. On BBC, when I was going to, it's called um, Saturday Morning Swap Shop. Yeah, yeah, Swap Shop. Oh, my gosh. Multicolored Swap Shop with, with Noel Edmonds. And yeah. on ITV, it was the anarchic Tiz Was. Yeah, with Chris Tiz Was. Which was yeah. just amazing. Yeah. Um, but... During the holidays, they they did that was always produced in London. Uh, in the holidays, they had like the regions produced a kids' TV show. So one one holiday it would be Manchester, the other holiday uh, it might be Newcastle, another holiday it might be Cardiff, and so these the secondary sort of Saturday morning kids' TV shows came out of that area. And, and I ended up working for the Manchester Saturday morning TV show, kids' TV show. One was called Up to You. One was called The Eight Fifteen from Manchester. And I just did some reports about all sorts of different things. Travel, some travel reports. I did reviews of, of films that had come out. I did a little bit about history. Um, so it, it was just learning the art of, of being on telly. And then at the same time, I was doing the radio stuff. So to sort of to round off the whole sort of story is that the TV break, I was doing some stuff for Breakaway on Radio 4 and I did a, a trip and on the trip uh, doing some research was a guy who was um, the series producer of Wish You Were Here. And Wish You Were Here, in case anyone doesn't know, at the time no, there were two major travel shows. One was yeah. called Holiday and th- that was on BBC and the other one was called Wish You Were Here and that was presented by Judith Chalmers. Yeah. And, and in its day, it was massive. It was on Mondays at 730 on ITV and it had like 25 30 million people would watch it and anyway so he he saw me doing my stuff for the radio show and he for Radio 4 and he said I really like what you do here you're like you're bringing a journalistic kind of style which is I think we've got to get a bit more like that would you do some reports for Wish You Were Here for me so it was like yeah all right so I um, (laughs) ended up you know I had a bit of TV experience doing the kids TV stuff and I ended up doing the um, some stuff for Wish You Were Here, which carried on for eight or nine years. That's amazing. So, um, yeah. Thank goodness then, for that fluorescent that, yellow meringue pie. <laughs> that, that then ended up, when Wish You Were Here ended, one of the people who I'd worked with as one of the directors had left and started her own production company and wanted to do a property show. And she knew that we'd done, I'd done a lot of property in my own time, you know, and knew a bit about property and asked me to audition for that and help her sort of come up with a bit more of a uh, a sort of format for this show, which was Homes Under the Hammer. So, you know, it all it all begins with um, the TV with a piece of lemon meringue pie. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. What do you think has made Homes Under the Hammer so endearing? What, why has it continued so successfully? Me. <laughs> um, I believe that loaded question. Loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not me. Uh, I'd like to think I have a large part to do with it. Uh, you know, no. It's, 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 it's. You know, I say me in a jokey kind of way. I do know what I'm talking about, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of television which you can see through the fact that the presenters don't know what they're talking about and they're saying somebody else's words. I mean, since from the start, you know, I have been very ad lib. Uh, I make up my own stuff. There's no scripts. It's just all, you know, what I see and and what my feelings are. And I think that's, you know, I think people have have commented that that's really refreshing and they can see that, you know, they respect what I have to say. Um, The show itself is, is, you know, it's aspirational, but it's realistic. So you could actually physically go to the auction and buy yourself. And a lot of people having seen Homes and the Hammer do exactly that. Um, you know, it's not just the big developing types. It's, it's you know, mum and pop, um, mm. you know, first-time developers who give it a go. You know, uh, the way the format of the show is very, 
you know, appealing. There's, you know, of course, the links, everything linked, cheesily linked to music that, that, that sort of fits. And the fact that, you know, you see a start of a project at the start of the show and you have to wait till the end of the show to see how they got on. You know, it's all, it's all, it's all really good. And, you know, but can't, you can't take it for granted that, you know, or take it lightly to have a format that survived 17 years. And, mm. you know, we've just been commissioned, you know, for, and we're in the process of making when COVID hit, you know, series 25, yeah. um, which takes us basically into 2022, you know, that will be a 20 year run on a television show. And That's I think amazing. it's uh, to still have, you know, the kind of viewer figures that we get seemingly the, you know, the, the, the great, the great outpouring of love for the show, you know, it, that's, that's something which I, I'll never, ever take for granted. And I'm, I'm, I'm very, very proud of. I think in a way, this kind of leads me nicely into the, the other question I was going to ask following on from your story is I do believe that the UK public have a love for property, don't they? There's, there's this sort of natural passion for it. And, and I think secretly people want to do it and necessarily know how to do it. And you, you bridge that gap as a starting point on the show because you're, you're shocked sometimes at your reaction to some of the things that people do is lovely. And, and it's like, as you say, it's ad lib. It's Martin's reaction instantly to somebody doing a cracking deal or, or a crappy deal. But people love that. They, 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 want, they want to get into your head and say, well, what's he thinking? You know, what does he see? <laughs> I obviously have to be um, diplomatic, but if you know me, you just <laughs> notice the way the eyebrow goes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's the and, as, and as the years have gone by, I've got I've got less and less diplomatic. I don't think I've actually called somebody a muppet on camera. Oh, actually, I might have done that. Um, <laughs> I, the times when I call people muppets are when they do something which is could have gone terribly wrong for them, like when they don't read the legal pack. You know, when they don't visit a property before buying it you know and i just think why did you do that because it could have gone so badly wrong mm. and cost you so much money and you know in those instances i'm not saying i wish them bad but it, when if they do well which some of them annoyingly annoyingly but some of them do still manage to make a profit or do okay having not read the legal pack and not viewed the property you know i almost don't want them to be successful i want them to fail because not because i want them to fail but i just don't i want to discourage people by you know by showing them what can happen if you don't do those things because i don't just say them to be annoying i say them because you really 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 need to follow that advice mm. don't buy without reading the legal pack and don't buy without visiting the property beforehand that's yeah. fair because it gives people a false confidence True. the next deal they do yeah it, right. it may be double the profit they're aiming for but it's the double the loss instead right yeah yeah makes sense yeah exactly so so i mean there's a heck of a history just as a, an investor yourself just maybe you can help those listening that aren't familiar with with property as a vehicle for creating security or wealth, whatever you want to phrase it. Why, why in your mind, is it such a, because there are other ways people can make money, but why for you, do you, do you see it as such a great vehicle for, for creating that security for families? Well, I think there are numerous um, other things that pop into the psyche on regular occurrences. You know, is it Bitcoins? Is it gold? Right. Is it silver? Is it ostrich farms? You know, is it overseas <laughs> property? Is it car parking spaces? You know, and there are, I'm sure, those people who get in quick and get out quick and make a killing on all those things. However, for the majority of people, by the time you hear about them, it's too late. And you are 
um, probably being sucked into something which will all end in tears. The thing about houses, and we take it for granted, but we have a really strict process in place for the ownership of property and land. It's the land registry. And believe it or not, other countries don't have that. You know, you can absolutely and legally say you own that bit of land and that house that sits on that bit of land. And before you buy it, your solicitor will have checked that you can actually be the owner of that said absolute right to that land or that bit of property. And so intrinsically, you are investing in something which the price may go up or may go down, but intrinsically, it's safe. It's a real physical thing. And yeah, the prices might go up, might go down. But at the end of the day, people will always need places to live. So as a fallback, if you strip away everything, people don't need ostriches. But they do need places to live. So if your commodity is something which will always have an intrinsic value, that's got to be a great starting point. And then couple that with the fact that we live on an island where there aren't enough houses for the people who want to own them, Mm. you know, or rent them. Then you, you are intrinsically, if you pair it all the way back, investing in a, an item, a product, a thing which there is a huge demand for, but not enough of. And so that's got to be okay, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you can live, you know, you don't, you don't need a Bitcoin, but, but you do need a house to live in. So true. Yeah, so true. Um, and as a father, there's that opportunity to leave some form of financial security for the kids in the future, should they want to pick it up, isn't there? I mean, it's something you can start now, but hand over in the future. Yes. And, you know, I really like it when families get involved in development projects. Mm. You know, when you see the father or the mother or the, you know, the significant carer or whoever it might be involving their offspring with them. So you think, okay, um, you know, talking about that, what am I going to do with my life kind of thing? You know, if, if you're being taught how to, you know, put up a stud partition wall or how to design an interior to be to maximize the potential you know for somebody to buy that property afterwards or or if you're learning what subsidence is or you're learning how to tile a, a bathroom or or do simple diy projects and you're doing it with your family then you're passing on something which i believe you know is such so much use to to, to those future generations one of the things which funny enough i've done in lockdown because i feel very 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 passionately about about diy mm. you know and, the, and and how youngsters in fact you know even the older generations not not necessarily ours but the one in the middle the 30s and 40s years, they don't know how to do basic things so one of the things during diy that i sat down and did is i i've started really working very hard on my youtube channel which is martin roberts property tidbits and one of the elements in that is we have a diy section where i'm teaching people some basic diy skills and also there's a there's a section on there which is DIY for kids. And I'm not talking about re- rewiring a house or, you know, or putting tiles on you, but learning simple projects yeah, yeah. that they can learn the skills, how to use a drill safely, how to, you know, how to build a bike ramp 
or a swing ball or, you know, or a, a guinea pig hutch or whatever it might be. Um, you know, because I really want, I don't want those DIY skills to, to, to disappear. Because trust me, when you're doing your renovations and you take on a project, a lot of people say, you know, how can you help me? I'm a first time buyer. And I always say, well, buy something that you can add value to. Because one thing you've got endless amounts of is your time. And so if you can actually learn some skills and that you don't have to know it right now, you don't have to be able to plaster, you don't have to be able to, you know, do carpentry, but go to night school or go, go online and do an online course or something. And then you can put those skills to use. And so, you know, yes, you'd love to own a house, you know, wherever it might be, but let's buy something a bit smaller. Let's buy something which you can add value to. Let's put our own effort in. And if we've got DIY skills, then we can really keep the costs of that renovation down. Um, and then we start building, you know, a little nest egg of equity, which, you know, a few years down the line, we'll end up being able to, live exactly where we want to live Mm. so you know i think those skills whenever i see people doing it as families i'm thinking you know they really are passing on teaching how to fish and not just throwing fish amazing talking about teaching how to fish and not just giving someone a fish over the years you have seen hundreds and even thousands of people not only watch your show but also attend your training programs and not many people will be aware that you know you have training programs that show people you know, how to catch their own fish. So as part of that, one of my questions is, with the show or people who maybe don't take your training programs, what are some of the mistakes, the common mistakes that you see people make in property when they don't have the right knowledge? And, you know, something that pops to mind is maybe not understanding the strategy. So over to you. So you talk about my training because yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously I was doing it on television, and then I I decided to write a book with just containing my experience and and Roe sort of mentioned them at the start was making money from property. It's sort of like you know a, a, a one hundred and one everything you need to know about investing in property, yeah, assuming no knowledge, so taking you through the whole process, uh, and then I followed it up with the property auction guide, which is all about you know buying auction again, you know assuming you know nothing and teaching you why you should be doing it and how to do it most effectively but I really felt that I also you know that watching it on telly is one thing and reading the books one thing but you, I really needed to, to to teach people face-to-face as much as possible or in a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of seminar or online you know webinar environment you know the the things that I've learned and that you the, the, the strategy that you can adopt which will help you you know, they can't guarantee success, but it will stack things massively in your favor, which is why I started, you know, making money from property with Martin Roberts, which is a brand where we, which has been running, you know, for, for 15 years or so now, um, you know, where we, we, we take people and we, 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 we teach them how to, how, how to become property investors and it, and it seeing people go through that process and having been running it for 15 years now, a bit like when I meet people who, who've taken my advice on the show and gone on to success, you know, seeing people who've been through the training courses and there's over 10,000 of them, you know, ending up with their dream portfolio of properties or, you know, a lifestyle that they want or whatever it might be. So I think to answer your question about what mistakes people make, I think to assume that you can just stumble into it and make a success of it, it always amazes me that people view property and property investment different to any other career and it's like if you wanted to be a doctor you wouldn't just you know pick up a scalpel and stop stabbing away at you know somebody who came through the door would you um 
you know, if you wanted to run, you know, um, if you wanted to run Eddie Stobart's home delivery, not home delivery, you know, bulk haulage, delivery yeah. haulage business, you wouldn't say that, you know, the fact that you, you know, you could ride a bicycle was, 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 because that's a form of transport, right? It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a good enough experience. So, so people say, well, you know, and it, and it sounds ludicrous, but actually they say, well, you know, I bought a house. Uh, you know, I've been I've been out of the state agent. I've given them some money, and I bought a house. That makes me a property investor. Well, yeah, in the same way, that riding a bicycle means it's a form of transport. You can't run the can't run Eddie Stobart's haulage business. Mm. So, I think the biggest mistake people make is not realizing that you need to invest in yourself and your training. You need to learn how to do it to do it properly. Now, I'm not saying you couldn't buy a house and get away with it. And, you know, spend some time doing it up and maybe make a profit. But if you want to run things properly and maximize that profit and, and safeguard yourself against things going wrong, you need to learn how to do it properly and learn from people who know what they're doing. So I think the biggest thing is is not accepting that you 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 know there is a lot to know. And and we do sort of three day training courses and you know but by the end of the first day, you, your brain is spinning because you you literally did not know how much you didn't know. <laughs> And um, that's so true. It's it's like there was so much to it, and and, and if you invest in yourselves and you, you believe in yourself and enough to say I'm worthy of investment, then I think that's you know that that's something you've really really got to do. You've got to say I'm worth this investment because it will enable me to fast track myself to success. Um, so so not reaching out for support, not investing in yourself, not investing in yourself, and. Unfortunately, getting into those duff cars where the guy says, I can take you to wherever you want to go. Yeah, yeah no yeah. worries, mate. Where are you going to? Warrington. Yeah, I'm going to Warrington as well. Yeah, I really am. Honestly. <laughs> Axe on the back seat. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can, te- I yeah. can teach you how to do this. Yeah, sure. You give me, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's easy peasy. Yeah, Just yeah. Yeah, yeah. And not, you know, not thinking and mm. not checking things out before you throw money at things. You know, don't believe the, the get rich quick. There is no get rich quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm smiling. I'm smiling listening to you because, uh, you know, occasionally those of you that um, uh, are listening, I, I get these occasional texts or a photograph from Martin. And one that was nicely sent last year was, I think you're out filming for Homes Under the Hammer and you actually met two of the students that had been through one of your trainings i think i might have trained them as part of that process but you were just over the moon to see that what they'd learned in the training had now manifested into success as property investors out, out on the street absolutely and you know and they said it you know and they were obviously very glowing about you rowan so um i'm quite rightly uh, they they were there living proof they were actually doing the homes under the hammer story but they were buying their i don't know fifth or so buy to let property and you know we're, we're living proof youngish couple you know probably mid 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 to late 20s who'd who'd, who'd both got to position you know by that point where they'd, they'd given up their day jobs and they, they'd taken it on as a full-time thing and it, yeah really 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 lovely to see to see that i mean occasionally i'd like you know a bit of a kickback i um i, I said, <laughs> you know, we were just we were filming in. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm joking about it, but we were filming in, um, in in Liverpool, and we're actually I was just doing a little thing at Penny Lane, actually by the sciences Penny Lane. Oh, lovely. And um, this black BMW 
top of the range, you know, sort of Range Rover type BMW thing. So with 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 all the extras came whizzing down the road and blacked out windows and it sort of went and then this screechy brakes and then this kind of high speed reversing as it reversed down the road to where we're filming and this kind of bejeweled hand stuck its hand out of the window. And I said, Martin, Martin, you know what? I was, I had absolutely nothing until I started watching your show. I followed your advice and now I'm a multimillionaire. So thanks, bloke. And then zapped off into the distance. And I, <laughs> well, you know what? That makes me feel fantastic. For you. You, know, you could at least, you know, I don't know. I'm going to crisp out the window or something. <laughs> Brilliant. So, okay, so somebody's sitting here and they're thinking, what an amazing journey. You've come through to a point now where you're not just inspiring people on the television, but you're also educating people on how to do it properly. I've got a double barrel question. One is more for people my age group and your age group. But the first part is what, so I'll give it in two, two stages. What, what tips would you give someone that's listening to thinking, okay, we've been watching for years. We've been thinking about doing, doing this. We want to get started in property. What would be the first tip? that you'd give to them. But but behind that, for anyone that's maybe 50, 55, 60, that's thinking, ah, oh, it's too late for me. It's all right for people like Harminda. He's in his 30s. But what about for me in my 50s? Can I do it? So kind of two questions, one for newbies, but also for the underworld, older ones that are slightly nervous about starting now. Is it too late for them? Well, I don't think it's ever too late if it's something you want to do. You know, um, if you're comfortable, you know, in your lifestyle, you know, and, you know, you you want to go and travel the world and whatever. I mean, property can provide a, a way of doing that. The reasons why people do it are, are many and varied. I mean, we're going to talk about charity, which I think is a really important, you know, part of of of, of my journey and, 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 and my belief in terms of giving back. But... You know, we, we have met people on the show. I want one couple who'd bought, and they were in their mid-50s, and they, they supported an orphanage in Africa. And they wanted to, to think about the best way they could to support the orphanage. And they thought about all sorts of, you know, running the marathon and da di da di da And they both shared a passion for property. So they'd literally bought this property at auction, and they were doing it up. And they were going to give every single penny of the profit they made when they sold it to this orphanage in Africa. Wow, so that was their driving force. So, you know, you, you don't have to think, because you might be, you know, you might be well off, you might be comfortable, but but it can be a way of generating funds to, to do that extra thing you want to do or to give it away. I mean, how, how, how amazing is that? And, and to answer the first part of the question, you know, the steps are, you know, I really do believe you need to, you need to get advice. You need to get help from people who know what they're doing. You need to, you need to invest in yourself in terms of training uh, because, because otherwise there are so many pitfalls for the unwary. And I do do the training courses. And, and so, of course, I'm not going to just say that. I do the training courses because I want to give people a safe route to achieving what they want to achieve. And so, I, you know, my first point has to be just learn, learn, invest in yourselves, you know, because that's a great starting point. And then believe that it's possible, you know, believe that, you know, with the right support and the right encouragement and the right knowledge, anybody can do this. And that's the great thing about property. You don't have to be like a prima ballerina. You don't have to have some God-given talent that enables you to play the virtuoso violin. You know, you have, you listening, have the ability to do this. You know, with a bit of guidance in the right direction, you have the ability. And and again, coming back to that, that thing which stops a lot of people doing anything, and that is fear of failure understand that that's what's stopping you not the ability that you have with the help 
uh, that you can reach out and get of doing it. It's possible. Amazing. So the only thing that's stopping you is you. That's an amazing, important message. And I think for the listeners at home, just take Martin's fearlessness, that inspiration from, you know, when he walked into the office, put his tape at the top, spoke to the editors, then spoke to the TV head of television. It's that fearlessness that we need to absorb. I'm personally taking from Martin's message here as well. Now, Martin, if someone is sitting here super curious and they're like, okay, property, Martin Roberts is an investor as well as an educator. What is Martin's preferred strategy? So Martin's preferred strategy is, okay, a few things. One, one of the most important things that I was told years ago when I was actually doing hospital radio was, and this is, this is a principle, not just about property investing. I think it's a principle for life. And it was, I went around the various wards and obviously one of the wards I went to was the cancer ward. So there are people on there who've got a limited amount of time to live. And I was talking to this one guy and I was getting requests. They wanted me to play on the hospital radio. And he said, I've got requests, but more importantly, I just want to pass on a bit of life advice. He said, I'm going to give you, tell you three words that you should run your life by. Do it now. Do it now. Because the number of times we shuffle paper or we shuffle thought processes, and we never actually get around to doing it. You know, do it now. Get it done. And actually, if you can adopt that, you know, how much time do we, do we spend worrying about stuff rather than doing it? How much time do we spend proliferating, moving that piece of paper around the desk four times, you know, rather than just getting on with it? It's got to be done at some point. So do it now. And it'll free yourself up so much. So, you know, I, I would say... My strategy has been wherever I can to 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 try to yes do due diligence, to try to you know get make sure that you know I've I've found out as much as I can about the opportunities and you know and has been as you know as as as, as careful as I can. But at that point comes a point where you've just got to do it. You know you've got to get on with it. So in terms of strategies, I mean I also believe in diversification because I think you know. Some people would say it's really good to focus. And there are people who just purely focus on buying bits of land and getting planning permission and then moving them on. Or people who just focus on HMOs, houses of multiple occupation, or people who just focus on on social housing. And that's absolutely brilliant if you want to focus in. My strategy is a bit more of a diverse a portfolio. So I've got holiday lets, I've got commercial property, I've got you know, do up and move on and, and flip on kind of projects that I take on. And, and I quite like the excitement of that that mixture. So I, I, I sort of adopt a more sort of broad strategy. Although one thing I would say is it's really good to focus on 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 areas. So, you know, I've got a cluster of investment which I do, you know, around Plymouth. I've got a cluster of investments that I do around Derby. You know, and then you can build teams of people who can support you in those areas. So, you know, my strategy is don't splatter gun geographically. Try and stick to a few areas that maybe you can you can focus on for for, for those reasons. But my personal strategy, right or wrong, is 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 to throw in a bit of diversity into the mix. Mm, I, I love that, and I think you know, for those of you listening, do go out and read the books. I think the books are going to be made available on the podcast. That's a really good so. reminder, Rose. So, okay, the YouTube channel, Martin, you mentioned all of Martin's books. I will put in the show notes with the link. So listeners, you just head straight there and you'll get access to his books. And just, uh, you know, adding to what Martin's talked about with the trainings, one of the great things that he's got inside of the, the trainings is this diversity, the importance of accommodating when the market conditions change, not being a, a one trick pony, having a range of strategies in place to allow for that. 
So the fact that he practices it and teaches it, I think is important. I'm going to change direction a bit if we can, Martin, onto something a little bit more personal to you, and that's to do with your foundation. Well, actually the books, actually. So my daughter, you were very kind. I think I was at an event where I spoke about two years ago in Bristol or Bath from memory. And I was there and I met your lovely other half and she gave me a set of your books and you signed them. I took them home, the Vils, and uh, Herman and his stories took over our house for a period. I saw your (laughs) books all over the bloody house. and Savannah was loving it, and she was just sort of enthralled by by that journey. Now, I'd always known you as an author of instructional information about real estate, and suddenly this pops out of nowhere. Take us on a journey. What was behind the books? Why were they so important to you, and, and what's the big picture behind them? Because it's not just about creation of books, is it? No, it's, it, it's diversified into a really important sort of angle, which I, again, I didn't see coming, but has, has become a really important, you know, part of a, of, of a journey. And, and there's, there's, you know, again, just I'll, 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 I'll give you another example. If we fast forward to the fundraising for the charity about that, sometimes, you know, the, 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 the journey can be very frustrating but actually you get a ride that you weren't expecting. But to take a step back, when I was working in the early days on Homes Under the Hammer, we used to have a sound recordist called James. And and he would, and we're talking 10, 15, uh, 10, 12 years ago, whenever something was gone, gone wrong or whether it was hot or whatever, he would always say, it's, I'm hotter than the hottest person in Hotsville, or I'm really hungry. In fact, I'm, I'm more hungry than the hungriest person in Hungryville, or oh, I'm so bored. I'm the most bored person in Baltimore. And I just thought, oh, okay. Um, I like that idea. I like the idea of these lands where everybody is, something's gone wrong. So everyone in Baldsville is bored all the time. Everyone in Hotsville is always hot. So that developed into this, I don't know why. I've got, I've, I didn't have kids at that point, but I am creative. And I started writing this series of books called The Vills. Hotsville, Colesville, Tidesville, Boardsville, Fullsville, where, you know, there's a reason why, a whimsical, silly reason why everyone in, in Hotsville is hot all the time. <laughs> or everyone in Boardsville is always yeah, bored. Yeah. And I found, I, I wrote, I found that writing the books, they just really flowed. And then I, I found an amazing illustrator called Jackie, and she just really brought these stories to life. So there's a central character called Herman and he gets on a double-decker bus every morning and he doesn't know where he's going, but he turns up in one of the lands. So he turns up in Windyville and it's always windy in Windyville. And, and he, he he sort of works with the, the locals who, because they're just in it, they don't realise that it shouldn't always be windy in Windyville or they shouldn't always be bored in Boardsville and, or why is it always hot in Hotsville? Because they're in it. They're too... It's a bit a metaphor for life. They're so busy digging, you know, or trying to survive that they don't take a step back and go, "Why is it always windy?" Um, and so he then steps in and he he finds out the reason, or he works with a local one, normally the person who's, who's who's suffering the most in that place, to find out the silly, whimsical reason why it's always, for instance, windy in Windyville. For for instance, in Windyville, there's a wind farm, but the guy who, who built it is colorblind, so he wired the the wind turbines the wrong way round. So instead of absorbing the air they're actually on blow so it's uh, it's actually blowing all this air through windyville okay so it's slightly implausible but it doesn't matter you know in hotsville the man who installs the boilers bob bob the boiler 
he 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 unfortunately didn't realize that the boilers he's these new boilers he's got were actually made in sweden so they're all calibrated in degrees celsius as opposed to degrees fahrenheit <laughs> he turns them all up to 80 thinking that's 80 fahrenheit which is quite a nice warm temperature and of course it's 80 degrees c so you know not surprisingly everyone's houses is, is slightly warm but the, what the books do is they encourage kids to think laterally and problem solve and um and i really like the the, the concept and the idea and the books and whatever so i've always been a lifelong supporter of the nspcc to make a bit of a jump cut but i have and I, my mum was was sort of heavily involved in it when i was growing up and i've done charity stuff for them and i thought what else can i do so i wrote a book called sadsville where everyone is sad again whimsical reason the man is, is who's making the crisps is putting real onions in the cheese and onion crisps so everyone's crying all the time so they appear sad but they don't realize it so they're all just locked in this world where everyone's crying all the time so herman turns up on his bus and he talks to the talks to them and he, he works out that the, the guy's making the crisps is putting onions in and they replace them with flavorings and everything's fine but the the, the, the bigger metaphor is is that if if you're sad you know let's try and look at why you're sad. And so I wrote this in conjunction with and in support of the NSPCC and Childline. And, and at the end of the book, it says, if you're sad for any reason, first of all, check you haven't got any real onions in your cheese and onion crisp. But, but after that, let, let's just try and analyse why you're sad. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's okay to be sad. You know, I call that good sad. You know, your pet dies or, you know, your holiday ends or your, your best friend moves away. You're going to be sad and that's part of life. And it's really important that children know that that is, if you like, not pleasant, but it's okay. What the other end of the spectrum is bad sad, I call it, which is where you've been abused or you're being um, neglected or you're being bullied. And then you need to seek support and, and help and protection. And so it's getting kids to recognize that difference. And and so I set out on this challenge. And again, you talk about, you know, not being phased by challenges. This has certainly been a, a, major, a very major one. I decided that I wanted to give a free copy of Sadsville to every single eight and nine-year-old in the UK. And I say eight and nine-year-old, that is the age which the NSPCC have said that children really start to develop their emotions. And if you can get to them at that stage and give them some guidance, then you can push them in the right direction rather than picking up the pieces afterwards. And so um, that's 760,000 children every year because obviously the year four, there's another year four. So I needed about half a million quid for that. So I set about this challenge to raise half a million quid to do this and set up my own charity, which is the Martin Roberts Foundation, as the sort of vehicle for doing that. And we raised enough money to do, we started in Bath and we raised enough money to do, uh, give out 7,000 copies to the kids in Bath. We then raised more money to do Somerset. We did another 14,000 in Somerset. We then raised enough money to do Hampshire and we got about 24,000 copies in Hampshire. So I was slowly working my way through the country and just trying to find donations and whatever. And then and then COVID came along. And one of the reasons, uh, one of the things which is coming out of, of the analysis of what's gone on to us all is that actually primary school children, the children who my book is targeted at, are in danger of suffering more badly than than almost any other age range. Okay, if they're younger than primary, they don't know what's going on. They don't care. If they're pri- if they're older than primary, they've had a bit of life experience, so they can put it in perspective. But this age range, the sort of six to ten year olds, you know, they haven't had enough life experience to say, you know, there is a life prior to wearing a mask whenever you you know whenever you go out and uh, you know into a shop or whatever. There's a, there is a life before mummy and daddy were were, were you know in a, crying at night because they can't afford uh, their mortgage anymore you know there is a life when it wasn't this silly old world that we live in at this at this 
time. So we really need to access those kids and to try to get them to talk about their emotions and, and open up that conversation. So so I, I decided we needed to get it out there soon. So I enlisted the support of a, a little fella called Basil Brush. And Basil Brush, if you don't know him, is a wonderful um, uh, children's entertainer who was, who was, who was, a, who was a fox. Yeah. And um, he read the book for me. And so we filmed him in his bedroom wow. reading the book. And we put it together with some simple animation. And we released this video version of the book of Sadsville, which is available for free. It's on YouTube or from martinrobertsfoundation.org. And we released it in June, along with some study materials, to every single primary school in the UK. We put it out there. We, we emailed every single primary school in the UK. And we said, here's some free resources. And then running parallel to that, you know, I just happened to be at an event. And I happened to start talking to this gentleman. And I told him my story. And sadly, you'll be amazed. Things sort of come out of the woodwork you learn afterwards. How many people have been abused or have been neglected or have had a difficult childhood. And he was one of them. So my story of what I'm trying to do with Sadsville really struck a chord with him. And uh, to cut a long story short, uh, three weeks ago, he gave me 50,000 quid for the charity, which will enable us in October to send out a free copy of Sadsville to every primary school in the UK, along with all the study materials and along with the link to Basil Brush. And a uh, and we've also linked up with an organisation called Fanetti, who are producing a read-along version of Sadsville, where the kids, as they read, it will correct them and and help them to to, to read the book properly. So in October, to coincide with um, World Mental Health Day, hopefully in October the 10th, we will be distributing this copy of the book to 24,000 schools and all the other resources and make them aware of that it's all out there. And so in to a degree, I've sort of fulfilled my promise of trying to get this book to every single child in the UK, although not necessarily in the, the sort of hard copy format that I anticipated, but in a digital version, mm. which they can have access to for free. That's amazing. And I still remember those early conversations with you. I mean, hats off to you because you've persisted through some difficult times. <laughs> that um, is one where I have to say my resilience, I have noticed my resilience because mm. obviously there's a lot of very worthwhile charities out there. And when you're battling against other people and those kind of charities for funds and people have got limited resources, it, it is really tough. But, you know, we you know we're not saying we're there, but, you know, we've, we've done some fantastic things, which I'm, you know, really, really, really proud of because that is a legacy. Right. You know, if, if, if as a result of what I'm doing, one child is is saved from abuse or neglect, then that's my job done. That's priceless. Right. I do. I agree, and I think you know this subject is worthy of an, a bigger discussion. I mean, if if at some point you're up for it, I'd love to bring you back. And because I actually made a note when you talked about bullying at the start of the podcast, I'd love to have a further discussion about that. I think there's a lot of people listening that it, it's kept quiet; they don't want to talk about it; they're uncomfortable with it. So maybe at some point, if you're up for coming back and maybe expanding on that and your experiences and how you've grown through it, and maybe some tools and tips for yes, people, that'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean, we haven't talked about, um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, it, it's something which it isn't just children. It, it, it pervades in lots of, of, of areas of society. And I think people need to address it and do something about it and recognise it's happening and, 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 and go back, uh, you know, 
correcting it because it, it can cripple your life and, you know and the subtle bullying and and, and you know it's it, you know unfortunately one thing people will encounter which i ask them to just put in perspective when you go through this process of becoming a property investor is you will encounter jealousy you will encounter people who will either be negative you know at you and they'll criticize you for spending money on training or they'll criticize you for making money out of property you know um and and, and they'll say oh you know you it's all going to go wrong and it's the man down the pub who's you know who, who who crushes people's dreams but unfortunately in this country we don't we don't really celebrate people who are successful mm. but i say that as a, a form of bullying you know stopping people doing what they could do mm. by psychologically bullying them into feeling embarrassed about being successful so true. You, know, you could be a multi-millionaire and you could have ten thousand quid in the bank and given away five point nine 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 million mm. of your of your money to charity yeah that's so true. Absolutely. That's that's just that whole section was beautiful to listen to as well. So in the introduction, listeners, when I said Martin has the ability to balance passion, purpose and contribution. Now, hopefully that should ring true and, and, and make sense why that is the case. Now, Martin, just quick question before we move on to the next one is if somebody does want to help, whether it's financial or resourcefulness, what website can they go to or is there somebody to contact? And I'll put this in the show notes as well. For sure, that's great. So if they go on to martinrobertsfoundation.org.uk, martinrobertsfoundation.org.uk, there's lots of uh, details of how they can help. And it could be money or it could be resources. It could be you know, the biggest challenge we've got is making the schools aware that this resource will be available to them because they get bombarded with all sorts of stuff. And obviously the schools are going to be, you know, trying to sort of get themselves back on their feet as the kids go back to school, you know, this week, next week and, and the week after. So, I, you know, I don't want my message to be lost. So if you can help just getting the message to schools that this is on its way, if you want to support us financially, fantastic. If you want to, you know, maybe help with, you know, just, just I don't know, whatever you can think of, lots of ways you can help. There is a Just Giving page if you want to just make a donation and any, anything is obviously gratefully accepted. So if you just search out Martin Roberts Foundation on Just Giving, but, but lots of information about the projects, about our, our, our aims, our goals, about the charity uh, and its objectives. Uh, that's all on martinrobertsfoundation.org.uk. Incredible. I'll put, I'll search those and put those in the show notes as well for our listeners. Now, sticking to that subject, the Martin Roberts Foundation, you described parts of how it's come about, but what is the bigger vision? What's the bigger mission for the Martin Roberts Foundation? What do you have in mind in your heart? So it's charitable objective written in the charity, um, on the charity website, and we thought long and hard about it, is to support safeguarding and education initiatives for children and young people. Mm. So at the moment, we're obviously supporting this Adsville project, and that's a great place to start. But moving forward, you know, we'll look at just providing education or helping in educational safeguarding initiatives to, to help young people you know get what they deserve which is a happy life um, and that could be you know doing more to teach younger people about about money and property investing and whatever it might be it could be you know helping any charities other charities who are you know heavily involved in safeguarding it could be you know whatever it, we, we deliberately made the the remit quite quite wide so that we can support other things in the future. So, you know, let's get, let's see if I can, I can get, you know, somebody who would give me enough money to be able to provide a hard copy of the book to every single year for people, you know, in perpetuity. Because I, you know, I know we live in a digital age 
Uh, and I know that having a, a book on an iPad is is a great thing. But I do, you know, I, having given out the physical books to mm. children, some of whom, of which this is the only book they own, mm-hmm. okay, to see the look on their faces when some stranger, uh, me or, you know, this, this organisation, you know, cares enough about them to give them a book which has a price on the back, it's worth eight quid, you know, that just, I think that is... I can't quite put into words why that is so much, why that is is such a a great thing to strive for, to Mm. to try and actually give a physical copy of the book. But, you know, the main thing is to get the message out to to kids. But if I can end up saying I managed to give every single year for people in the country a copy of this book for free, then that would be that would be me, you know, uh, a very happy bunny. I agree. And I think, you know, the beauty of it is that when you receive that gift, it gives it more meaning that what you when you open up and read the pages, it's an unconscious thing, but whoever's reading it attaches a lot more meaning to it as well. I think it'll have a deep rooted message, which is fantastic. Wow. I mean, I, we started by talking about all your qualities. I think that's one of the biggest ones. Uh, I guess we've been talking, believe it or not, nonstop for an hour, hour and a half. <laughs> and there's still so much to get out of you. But can I, I, I think probably for me, trying to round this off, bearing in mind where we are at the moment, we've, you know, we're still not by a long shot out of COVID-19 and the impact of it. I think we're going to see that over the coming months and over the next year or two ahead. What there's people listening to this. There's been a lot of stress, as you talked about, mums and dads possibly losing jobs, kids not being able to get back to school, a lot of stress in the household. What would be, you know, from your journey, your hitchhiking, your curiosity, your fearlessness and all the characteristics that you've developed and evolved and have, have, have nurtured through the ups and the downs, what would be Martin's message to people right now at this point, moment in time? What would you like to share with people? Sometimes life's shit. It's true. You know? it's it true. It's and true. we all go through it. I think the reality is you come out the other side and we will all come out the other side. I think one of the things which has been, you know, really touching in all this is that the world's been through this mm. you know i spoke to somebody in you know on a call center and he was in the philippines and i was asking him how his family was and he was talking about their own lockdown in the philippines so i'd like to think you know try and make the most of what is a terrible situation which you know like coming back to the book you know sometimes things don't go to plan mm. right but it's about bouncing back and making the most of the circumstances you're in and what i tried to do during lockdown rather than think of the 10 things i couldn't do i tried to think of the three things that i wouldn't have done had it not been for the situation I was in. And, mm, and you know, I, I look back to my mum, actually, and one event, which I don't know why it had such a profound sort of effect on me, but she had a car and she, she one day she turns up in the back of an ambulance, okay? And she'd been driving down this road and a, and a, and a, um, a tractor pulled out of a farm gate yard without checking, totally written off her car, Right but had pushed her into this like lay-by. And when she came sort of out, out of the ambulance, I said, oh my God, this is absolutely terrible. And mum said, you know, I was so lucky because it happened right opposite a lay-by. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I was like, <laughs> mum, you've just almost been killed by, you know, a careless tractor drive. Your car's been written off. You've come home in an ambulance and your, your spin on that is weren't you so lucky that you're opposite? It all happened opposite a lay-by, and that I I don't know if that went in somewhere, because if you, I'm not saying I can always be that positive, and the reality is we all have bad days, but if you can at least try to to focus, 
on the three things which you can do or have been able to do rather than the 10 things you haven't, then I think that hopefully helps cope. And also the fact that we're all in it together and that, you know, I am a great believer in that things, you know, do happen for a reason. And, you know, this is, this is a really dodgy ride, but the next ride you get wouldn't have happened had it not been for this. So, uh, I'm getting goosebumps here. Harminder's opposite me whilst we're recording this and I'll send you a picture of this on WhatsApp. But I wrote down at the start of this interview when you started describing your early life, I wrote down a question I wanted to throw in, which was what were the values that he got from his parents? Because as you were describing it, and here we are, I got, I got, I'm going to send it to you just to show you, but you've already described something you took from your mum. I mean, that's incredible. I think we sometimes forget just you know, if we've got great parents around us that, that can put the stress aside, but impart a message upon us, it stays with us for life. Uh, It sounds like one of those things that you took from your mom. I mean, are there any other things, any great qualities or values that you've picked up from your parents in that early, early stage of your life? I think that was a really big one. I mean, dad was just a rock, you know, and he, he was, mum was the sort of flamboyant sort of active out there and he was just a real stable character uh and that's you know that's i think he he taught me to you know respect that everyone's different okay and everyone has different qualities and you know they might not be you but actually sometimes the combination of those characters you know characteristics works works really 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 well especially in relationships you know if you're both the same then it's it doesn't necessarily work, but if you have a a combination of of, of, of characteristics and personalities, then that can be a really really good thing. Mm. Amazing. So, I don't want to wrap this podcast up, but as we wrap this up, Martin, do you have any final parting words for our listeners? Uh, whether they're action points, you, you know, you can give them a couple of action points. I think you should do this, this, and this. Or any just a final message before we wrap this podcast up and bid you farewell and allow the listeners just to absorb the wisdom from this episode. I love this story of these, a lot of people are looking for the magic trick, aren't they? They're looking for, you know, the quick fix. They're looking for the uh, the magic bullet, the, um, the you know, the yeah, snake potion or whatever it might be, snake oil. I'm reminded, you know, of the story of the American tourists who visited one of the stately homes in Britain and they are standing there looking out across acres and acres of beautifully manicured grass and perfect, you know, uh, design and and this grass is utterly perfect and, and just stretching into the distance and they happened to have the opportunity of speaking to the head gardener and they said, so, you know, gee, what's the secret, uh, what's the trick of, um, of making your grass so perfect? You know, our grass at home has got all sort of weeds <laughs> and sort of terrible and he said, it's simple. You just throw down some seed and you roll it and mow it for 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> and the reality is sometimes there isn't a trick. It, you've just got to keep doing it and doing it and yeah. doing it. And wow. in the end, you'll get there. Well, your story has been a personification of that. And I wrote another word in there alongside fearlessness. I hopefully you agree with this, but curiosity seems to be one of your great qualities as well, Martin. 
curious about people, curious about life and curious about yeah, opportunity. I'm, I am genuinely interested in people. You know, everyone's got a story to tell, whether it's the man who's sweeping his street or, you know, a professor in a university. Everyone's got an interesting story to tell. And if you can find that story and ask them about that story, then, um, you know, you'll make them feel good about themselves and you'll learn about them. Amazing. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sign off from my end and Harminder always likes to sign off the podcast, but as a personal friend, thank you so much for coming on and sharing, I think, parts of your story that most of us weren't aware of, actually. So thank you. No, I've told you things that I've never told anybody. That's genuinely, yeah, I I loved it. Thank you so much. Incredible. Thank you, Marty, for joining us on today's episode. For the listeners, I suggest re-listening, getting a notepad out and just absorbing the endless anecdotes, stories, messages, life messages, career messages, business messages, property messages, it goes on. So Martin, thank you so much. For myself, Ro and Martin, we shall see you on the next episode. Take care. Hello, it's Dr. Ro here. Harms and I would like to both personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Cicado Show. And if you've gained just one insight, something positive that you're able to use on a personal, on a professional level to help your life and maybe other people's lives, then please complete an important action for us, which takes less than just two minutes. Please become a supporter of the podcast by going to cicado.com. And as a thank you, you'll get access to exclusive supporter perks. And don't forget to simply subscribe to the show Share this product with loved ones and we would love if you would take a moment to give us a review and let us know just how amazing this episode was. Thanks again for listening. This is Dr. Owen Harms signing out. We'll see you on the next episode.